This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Nikolai Zikilko, co-director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management and a professor of management here at Wharton. Uh, just a reminder, we are live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and the show replays a few times throughout the week. Uh, if you have any comments or questions during today's show, please give us a call. The phone lines are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That is 1-844-942-7866. Now, coming up in the second half of today's show, I'll be joined by Gina Bianchini, the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks, which is a platform for entrepreneurs to grow their own networks and network businesses. Uh, but now I'm thrilled to welcome uh, Jack Mark Walter. Uh, he is the CEO of CIBC Private Wealth Management in the U.S., uh, Jack has more than 30 years of experience in the private client and investment industry. Uh, prior to joining CIBC, he served as managing director and national director of the client strategy group for Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. Uh, Jack, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Nikolai. How are you this afternoon? Wonderful. Um, maybe, can you start us by, by giving us sort of a little bit of an overview of what is actually private wealth management? What does it all encompass? Yes, private wealth management is really advising individuals and families mm -hmm. about every aspect of their wealth. It could be asset allocation, it could be investment management, it could be tax, trust, estate planning, philanthropic. Yeah. So it's advising them, and frankly, it's tying it all together mm -hmm. in an integrated fashion, usually through one point of contact or one team. So you're really, you're really the liaison, you're the relationship manager uh, for an individual, for a family, and you advise them for all aspects of their wealth mm -hmm. uh, with the investments being sort of at the core of the center, right? but all the other things I mentioned around, sort of around, around the orbit. Okay, great. So you've been in this business for a long time. Um, what changes have you seen so in, in what customers are asking you to do or you know, what customers value in their relationship with a wealth manager? Yeah, I think that um, the, the businesses have really evolved greatly since I started the business. It was a real simple business initially in, in the, the mid to, to, to um, early 1980s. In fact, then it was more of domestic U.S. stocks, mm -hmm. bonds, and cash. And frankly, you would meet with a client in person with a paper, paper report probably on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. And fr frankly, the clients were not that well-informed and right. they didn't have that much information. And so what we've seen is where when you meet with clients, they know all the information already. Mm -hmm. They have it in the palm of their hand or on right. the watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they know, they know every aspect of the portfolio. So what happens is you've really got to go way above and beyond. Mm -hmm. It's now much more about value-added advice. It's about interpreting the data. Mm -hmm. It's about listening listening intensely and intently to the clients, and then coming up with the strategy of what do you do going forward for, for a client. So, so for us, it's, we've seen just a real evolution of the business where now with a portfolio, it's not only U.S. stocks, it's, it's also international stocks. It's emerging markets, mm -hmm. it's mid-cap, small-cap, and then it has a whole range of private equity, venture capital, um, Hedge funds, which all those when I first started really barely existed. Right. So it's much more. There's been tremendous innovation in terms of product, mm -hmm. 
But what I've seen, uh, Nikolai, is that at the heart of the business, it's still very much the same. Mm-hmm. And that's that, 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 that the client, you've got to get to know the client. Yep. You've got to get to know their family. You've got to customize your solution to them. Right. Uh, and, and then you've got to take all these different products and services, so many more than we used to have, and formulate it in a way that it's just that, that matches and that fits the client and their family's needs yeah. and objectives. Yeah. So I could very well imagine that you have different types of clients with very different types of needs or kind of the, the own impetus of getting informed versus not, right? So right. on the one extreme end, right, the person knows everything already in some sense. Okay, what, what additional advice can you give me versus others who may uh, need more, more, more basic information? So how do you kind of structure your services to address in some sense, right, sort of different sophistication or need or engagement of, of, of your customers? Right. You know, it's, it's interesting. My father was in the business mm-hmm. for 45 years. And he would say that uh, with the clients, that the clients that oftentimes had the best performance was a little old lady, a little old man who never opened up their statements. <laughs> right. statements yep. And they kind of let their portfolio run, and they didn't second guess. And so I think there actually is some truth to that. Uh-huh. I think there's an element of, of uh, that if you put the right asset allocation in place, mm-hmm. you put the right managers in place and the right securities Oftentimes, time will heal, uh-huh. and the power of compounding, which yep. is what Warren Buffett talks about right. so much, that power of compounding, you've got to be patient to kind of let it run and let it grow. and let, It's like watching a garden grow. Yep. You do all the right things. You get the right seed, the water, the sunlight, and you let it grow. And that's sort of what you've got to do with your portfolio. So in terms of clients, you've got to, again, listen to the client. And we have very detailed and, and direct discussions with clients about how often do we want to meet how often do you want to know what your portfolio, uh, what, how it's yeah. performing? Mm-hmm. We have one client who's worth $120 million, and he keeps his whole portfolio on a, a little index card, mm-hmm. which we kind of <laughs> help prepare for him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He, has, he has the whole value of his portfolio yep. in, his, in his breast pocket, and, and he says, I know what I own, I know what my number is. And so what your number is, is what's, what's your net worth, what's your portfolio? So what we have to do, we have to ask clients, we have to discuss with clients, we have to listen to them, mm-hmm. and so they'll, they'll tell you, oh, I want to meet monthly, I want to speak right. every week. And some clients may say, I want to meet quarterly, but we really think it's important to yeah. meet with our clients and or speak with them in detail at least quarterly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now having websites, having uh, a, uh, app, a client app right. where people can go right into their portfolio has made it much easier to keep in touch with clients absolutely but again to your point to your point customization Mm -hmm. and listening to a client what is the frequency of what you want how long term you say you're investing for retirement and for long term Mm -hmm. are you really and are you going to stick with that portfolio in times like 2008 where it looks like the world is going to end and so that's our job is to is to set up the right portfolio and the right asset allocation Mm -hmm. originally but to make sure we stick with that with clients. Yeah. So to, to, to really answer your question, in each instance, we've got to listen to the client and tailor a program of how often we meet with them, uh, what is their asset allocation, and what's the best way to interact with them on an right. ongoing basis. Yeah. So, um, of course, fintech is sort of a hot topic, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Everyone uh, sees sort of new startups coming up, and quite often it's some Silicon Valley entrepreneur saying, hey, by using technology, we can do this better and we can do, do this maybe more cheaply. Um, so what new startups have you seen in kind of your industry? I mean, Wealthfront and Betterment sort of come to mind, but I'm not 
quite sure even they are exactly in the industry, how you might yeah. think about it. So, yeah. so what, what, what kind of increased competition have you seen? Yeah, I think that a lot of the competition for the last number of years used to focus more on cost cutting, on what, how can you lower the cost you know, for a financial institution and yeah. how can you manage your profitability. In the last two or three years, uh, especially with you know, sort of, as you said, the, the rush of technology and, and, and so how plentiful information is, we, we've seen much more of sort of a client interface and front end. So different, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, different, different startups have done particularly well. I think one, one and it's not a startup uh, by any means, it's been around for about 50 years, but uh, a company that we see that we like, the way they interact mm -hmm. and the way they integrate things is SEI. Uh, mm -hmm. They're up in, right outside of Philadelphia. Yep. They're very innovative in their approach, and they have different, different buildings all set up for different aspects of, of, of the client relationship, mm -hmm. and they have whiteboards, and they innovate. But what we've seen that they've done different than a number of startups is that they integrate from very beginning, from the very first time you you meet with a client, so sort of uh, prospecting and meeting books, mm -hmm. all the way through uh, account opening, all the way through managing the account and cash disbursements, and then on the back end, which is sort of client reporting, performance, things like that. So that's you know that's been a yeah. very innovative company that uh, that at least in our business has has. has pulled together many of the other aspects mm -hmm. uh, that, that uh, were not uh, before were very uh, desperate. Right. Yeah, so let's push along this a little bit further, kind of yeah. thinking about technology and how technology is changing and has changed and probably will change uh, sort of, uh, you know, the business that you're in. And so my colleague Christian Tervish and I have been uh, working quite a lot lately on the topic we call kind of connected strategies, yeah. where really firms are trying to really change the relationship they have with their with their customers. And we, we sort of thought about sort of four different elements, which we call the four R's, kind of a recognize a need, a request, respond, and repeat. So maybe we can go through this uh, in, in, in a little bit detail. Because you started out kind of saying, look, there's a whole set of potential needs that, that these customers have, right? It's not just the investing. So how has kind of technology allowed you in some sense to recognize the needs that a customer has? And because sometimes customers don't even know that they have a particular need, right? Right, uh, right. And so, that, that, so technology, yeah. in my mind, for all those four R's, technology has been a tool. Mm -hmm. Technology has been it's helpful, useful. But really, in the end, it's sort of human interaction. It, it, it's personality. It's the mm -hmm. ability to, just as you're doing now, to ask deep questions, to ask penetrating questions, to sort of bring out uh, what's beneath the surface. And so, as you said, the first R of recognize, you've really got to spend time with discovery. Mm -hmm. You've got to go through and, and, and spend several hours with, with the patriarch and the matriarch and the <laughs> children and grandchildren Find out what's important to them. Mm -hmm. What do they care about? Right. Frankly, when they're very wealthy, a big question is, what is this money for? Mm -hmm. Once you've yep. met all your basic needs, yep. do they have a big philanthropic need? Do they want mm -hmm. to give money to a university? Or do they want to hoard it all right. and pass it to the next yep. generation? And, mm -hmm. what, and what are the family values? So recognize right. is really, really um, really important. Right. And, then, and then to be able to re request and to get information for that, and then and then to be able to to uh, respond to formulate the right solution, mm -hmm. because what's happening now is there's so many different choices, right, of different right. ETFs and yep. ETNs, and hundreds of managers, thousands of managers, you know, thousands of mutual funds and hedge funds and private equity. 
how do you respond to, that once you've listened to the client, mm-hmm. how do you come back with the right asset allocation? Right. What's the right blend between stocks and bonds and cash? And how do you tie it all together? And also, how do you tie together those other goals of educating the children and mm-hmm. making sure that you don't spoil or ruin the children with the money? Because oftentimes, for very wealthy people, they learn that it's more important to pass on their values mm-hmm. than it is to pass on their money. And right, so, right. so how you respond is really important and how you repeat. So the way I see technology interface, and of course, just information gathering with what we call a CRM, a, a yep. client relationship management tool, uh-huh. uh, at the point of contact, you know, in terms of use of iPads or use of, of, of gathering information, uh, and then being able to communicate with clients, of course, whether it's email or text or right. whatever it may be, and, and, and then being able to come back to a client and be able to send them something instantly in right. terms of what a portfolio, what your response may be for yeah. them. And then, and then, as you said, with the repeat, the way I look at repeat is getting into the proper rhythm with a client and their family in terms of reporting, mm-hmm. in terms of interaction, uh, how do you interface with them? How often? And then, as you alluded to early, how much detail do they want to see? Mm-hmm. Some clients, if they're sort of engineers and they're very technical, honestly, they may want to see a report for you know a twenty million dollar portfolio, a report that's eighty pages long. Right. And they right. may want to see detail, gory detail about every manager. Another client may come in and say. What's my number? Uh-huh, that's What's right. My number? Yep. Or they yep. may come in and simply say, "How am I doing?" And if you say, "You know, how am I doing?" means how's the portfolio? Right. How's right. it doing? And some clients, which is incredible, when you say that you're doing fine and you've worked with them for ten years, they know their portfolio's growing and they're yep. not as worried. Right. So to your point, you've really, really got to recognize uh-huh. what is happening. You've yep. really, really got to to request further information and respond. And then once you get into that rhythm, it's repeating the way you interface to where with a client, what we really try to do is simplify our client's life. We mm-hmm. really try to bring, bring sort of financial peace of mind because people work hard to create their wealth. Clients yeah. work hard to create their wealth. So we want to preserve that wealth and we want to grow it at right. a reasonable rate. But also, we want them to be able to do other things that they want to do. I talked to a client the other day, and he was a big golfer. Uh-huh. He, said he, he said he played 280 rounds of golf last year, and he said, <laughs> he said your team here in Boston, I was in Boston, yeah. he said, your team has done such a good job, I can go out and play golf and not worry about it. I played 280 right. times last year, and I said, well, how are we doing? He said, your technology is good, but you need to keep investing in it. He said, your people are great. Mm-hmm. He said, your people love my family, my extended family, and you care about my extended right. family more than I do. This gentleman <laughs> has, has $100 million. $100 million. Right. So, so the interesting thing is that technology is really, really important, yeah. but, but relationships trump technology. Absolutely. But, the, yeah. but the, winning, the winning combination is where you can leverage technology, to your point with the four R's, yeah. leverage technology to do all those different steps, but then have a really intense very um, focused relationship and a deeper yeah, relationship no, absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Great. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nikolai Zikoko, and I'm speaking with Jack Mark Walter, uh, the CEO of CIBC Private Wealth Management in the U.S. Um, 
So as CEO, kind of, um, what are your main tasks, right? Or how's your how's your day to day look like? I mean, uh, how do you spend your time? It's sort of, uh, we all are pressed for time. So so how do you allocate uh, what you tend to spend your time on? Absolutely, and and one thing we'd all love more of is time. Yeah. And to me, as CEO, my most important role that I see it is to shape and to formulate the vision mm-hmm. for the company. And what I mean is what we'll look like, not today, but three years and five years. And we decided several years ago we wanted to really create the best firm in the business, the go-to firm mm-hmm. for clients and and for employees. And then we define that with detail in terms of investment performance and wealth strategies and people development. Mm-hmm. And so the way I spend my time, frankly, is articulating that vision. I travel a good bit. I'm in a different office. We have 19 different offices. We have mm-hmm. 500 professionals. And so I spend a lot of time visiting clients yeah. in different offices. I mm-hmm. spend a lot of time with team members around the office. For example, I was up in Boston for the first part of this week, and I met with three different clients, some very substantial yeah. clients for, for several hours. But I also met with seven groups of individuals, of our team members, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in groups of sort of anywhere from 10 to 20 people, and literally went around the room and said, tell me the most important thing you're working on. Right. And also tell me, you know, what is your biggest challenge? Mm-hmm. And how can we, as senior management, help you out? Yeah. How can we help you do your job better? And what happens Nikolai, is that you end up learning so much about the business. Mm-hmm. It's what, what I've seen is people that are younger to the business, too, in some ways are almost more bold and more innovative oftentimes. Sure. They'll, you know, they don't care if you're the CEO or if, you're, you know, if you've, you've just started that day, which is the right approach for uh-huh. everyone. Yeah. But by going around and sort of listening to different people in different offices, we, we learn, learn a great deal. So I spend a lot of time. Yeah. Traveling the country, meeting with clients, meeting uh, with team meeting members, teammates. Yeah. Solid, so if you if you sort of solid. think if you sort of think ahead, um, given that you have probably these conversations quite often. So so if you think ahead, what do you see as kind of potentially sort of the biggest threats or kind of uh, to to your industry or to your uh, to your firm kind of going forward? I, I could assume those are kind of the questions that keeps you uh, up at night, right? Kind of uh, trying to predict uh, what 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 could happen. Well, I think one of the biggest challenges with life and with with our industry and with innovation is the rate of change. Uh Change happens very quickly and change is pretty consistent and it's constant. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is what I've seen is that the rate of change in our industry and in the world has increased a great deal. Mm -hmm. So to me, the best way to adapt to that change is make sure that you know who you are as an organization. Right what you believe, what your vision is, where you're headed. And then for me, the biggest thing is preserving and enhancing our culture because mm-hmm. you've really got to make sure that you've got the culture, the right culture. And the culture is how do people feel when they come to work? Right. Do they have a, a, a spring in their step? Are they getting yeah. up? And do, they, <laughs> do they really believe in what they're doing? You know, it, you know, everybody's got a job and everybody does a job to make a living. But do you really believe that you're helping out your clients and their families? Yeah. Do you feel that you have a bit of a sense of mission? Right. And so I think that the biggest risk for us would be to dilute that culture, the culture mm-hmm. of being what we refer to as entrepreneurial 
fiduciaries mm-hmm. where you're very entrepreneurial, you, you're, you're very creative, innovative, but you're also fiduciaries where you put your sure. client kind at of the center of all that yeah. you do and your client's interest above your own. Absolutely. Now, uh, let's stick with culture for a second because uh, CIBC is, of course, the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. Um, so when you think about the culture or the strategy of the firm, what, what impact does it have that you're Canadian? I could assume there's some regulatory things, but let's put those aside. So is there an impact of being part of a Canadian company? Right. I think that um, CIBC has been around a long time. Yeah. It's been around about 160 years. So I think CIBC gives us stability. Mm-hmm. They give us resources. They give us deep pockets. In the main time that deep pockets matter, frankly, like in a good times like we're in now, it doesn't matter as much for deep pockets except for resources. Yeah. But it does matter like in, in 08, 2008, when the, when the world right. is, like, is, is, is collapsing. Yep. It's yep. very important to have deep, deep pockets and deep resources. And so we, we feel good about the history and the strength mm-hmm. of, of CIBC. That's very important to us. Yeah. The other thing that we found is that CIBC – like the Legacy Atlantic Trust, which is now CIBC right. Wealth, really does put the client at the center of what we do. Mm-hmm. It's a client-first culture, and it's a culture that, that, that you know, solves problems, and it's a culture that sort of builds and grows and does it with the way they treat their clients and their people you know, right. in, in the right way and with respect yeah. and, and, and dignity. So I've, right. I've been very pleased. It's been four and a half years since uh-huh. we've come together with CIBC. We were $18 billion under management when we started discussing a partnership and coming together with CIBC. Mm-hmm. We're $54 billion under management and advice in the last yeah. four and a half years. We did do a couple of acquisitions, but mm-hmm. I don't think – I think we're probably one of the, the best growth stories in yeah. the industry. Right. Uh, but a lot of it, I say it's been the, the cultural fit you know, uh-huh. with, with – uh, with, with CIBC, yeah, the resources, yeah, the resources right, that, that you get from them. No, right, like in the area of innovation, uh-huh. in order to innovate, you really have to spend tens of millions of dollars over time, right. hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. And so CIBC has been very good about resourcing us in terms of technology, mm-hmm. innovation. We're actually embarking on a very transformational program where we're integrating all of our all of our services into one integrated system. Mm. And so, um, but CIBC has been a, a very strong partner and really has helped us as a partner grow yeah. the business, triple the business in the last four and a half years. Right. So um, you said, you know, change is kind of accelerating and we see it all, all over the place. Now, of course, uh, a lot of our listeners uh, hear about cryptocurrencies and initial coin offerings as yet another uh, investment class out there. Um, what's your take on this phenomenon? I think uh, cryptocurrencies are more of a sign of the times. Uh (laughs) I think it's a bit more of a fad. But what's not a fad is how quickly new innovations or new ways of looking at things can be disseminated Uh and can be adopted. Right. In the 1980s, if someone had thought about cryptocurrency, there's no way that everyone in the world would hear about it and and tens of thousands of people would adapt. So mm-hmm. I don't see it being an asset class. I right. think it's something we have to pay attention to. We have yeah. clients that ask about it. We publish a little bit of work on it. Right. But honestly, I see it a little bit more on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, what we look at is just laser-focused on our clients. What are our clients' needs? Learning. I think your, your four R's actually were quite, uh, quite helpful. I'm going to come back to you on that separately. Yeah. 
Um, so you you just mentioned uh, earlier, kind of right. We both you have been growing quite a lot, and obviously you 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 put the customer's interest first as as a, as a key kind of value. Um, now, of course, every company usually says that, right? We're putting our customers' interests first. Uh, but uh, at the same time, of course, also every firm wants to get sort of the most of their employees, right? And, and as right. a result, you know, quite often puts them under pretty high-powered incentive systems, right? You need to grow, you need to get profitability. And so there's always kind of this tension, right? And, and so how do you balance this out? And uh, I, I know culture and values probably play a big role, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit on kind of that, that natural question. tension that, that exists, particularly in the financial industry, right? Yes, I think it's a great question. And frankly, in order to have happy clients and satisfied clients, you've got to have happy and highly satisfied employees right. and team members uh-huh. as well. Yeah, yeah. And so we spend a tremendous amount of time on continuing education. We, we pay a large portion for each of our, our professionals for continuing education each year. If they want to take the CFA or the CFP or the CPA, we encourage mm-hmm. that. Uh, we also uh, have a mentor program, a mentor program which uh, all throughout the country and all throughout the firm, and what happens is – as I'm, I may be a mentor, but I'm really a mentee because I'm learning from someone from someone that's earlier in the business. Yeah. And we, we, we end up keeping the firm connected from that point of view. But what we've done in terms of compensation and sort of looking at the firm and making sure that we're client-focused is point number one, we're fee-only. So mm-hmm. the only way that we get paid is one management fee. So the, the, our clients assets have to grow in order for us to, to grow, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and so we, we, we try to stay as fiduciaries. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and then we, when we're interviewing people, frankly, we look for individuals, even in the interview, where, where they have a sense of purpose of taking care of clients mm-hmm. and of, of doing the right thing, honestly. And that's yeah. sort of a, a mantra that we say a lot. And so you could see it in interviews if someone comes in and they're incredibly money-hungry. Right, right. Yeah, they're yeah. Not, no, they're, no. Very, they're very much a lone wolf-type yeah. personality. They're not a team player. Right. Then it's not a fit. Right, so exactly. when we interview yeah. people, when we interview people, they interview with oftentimes a couple dozen people mm-hmm. all over the country. Right. And we're very, very slow to hire people because we feel that we've got – very high retention rate with our with our employees mm-hmm. and with our clients. Yeah, we, we feel like we have something very special here, right? Very unique. Oh, and so, what we try to do is, is keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Hiring people right. that are highly qualified. I looked at your credentials, and, and that, which are quite and that, impressive. And, that, and we would interview that sort of fit fit in. Yeah, yeah. but it's the type of people that take the time to get you know a, a solid education and and then yeah. also to get well credentialed. But most importantly, is really trying to understand where their moral and ethical compass right. is. Yeah, and whether they fit into the culture. No, absolutely. You got it. Amazing. It's a Great. Client first and teamwork. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Jack, that was fun. Thank you so much for having me joined on the show today. Well, great. Well, thank you, and congratulations oh, on all your success absolutely. and the well, thank that you've received. I right. enjoyed Googling <laughs> you and finding out all oh, that you've done. Thanks, Jack. Uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, I'll be joined by Gina Bianchini, the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks and an absolute world-class expert on network effects. Uh, this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 